Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Sir, you're joining me today to talk about a new development in the story that you've been covering for uh, a year and a half for us about this mystery neurological syndrome in New Brunswick. But you're not in New Brunswick right now. Where are you? Uh, I'm in western Ukraine in a hotel hallway uh, recording this particular story. I know that you're there covering the conflict, and I do appreciate you taking the time out of that important reporting to uh, bring your attention back to Canada. I think that this story is also very important in a very different way. It might be the most important thing that we're covering here um, at Canada Land. And every time we learn something new about it, I do want to get you back on the show to tell people about it. But it does require us to remind people of the story so far. Yeah, it's an important one. Happy to do it. You're going to have to correct me if I get anything wrong. As I recall, the first patient started experiencing symptoms in 2015. And by 2019, there were 12 more people, and all of them were from East New Brunswick. The next year, 2020, there were 25 more patients and then another 10 in 2021. And all of these people, all of them from New Brunswick, were experiencing similar degenerative neurological symptoms. So this included everything from hallucinations to people forgetting how to read, which had sounded really bizarre, muscle degeneration, all kinds of things. And one of the really common themes was dementia. I can't read. I can't move. I could not figure out how to make the letter Q like it was like another language. 
I feel like my memory is so bad. I, I, I can have a conversation with someone and forget it like five minutes later. I feel like I wake up every day and it's Monday. I didn't realize I was losing the muscles, muscle atrophy. She couldn't talk, couldn't walk, couldn't eat. She passed away one day before Mother's Day. For the first six years, all of this is happening without the public's awareness. And it's happening to alarmingly young people, and some of them are even dying. But then in March 2021, the first media report comes out. Yeah, reported by Radio Canada, they had gotten a hold of a, an internal memo that talked about this group of patients that they were believing to be suffering from a potential disease of unknown cause. And at first, there's no reason to believe that the authorities were doing anything but trying to legitimately get to the bottom of this. Here is Dr. Jennifer Russell, the chief medical officer of health in New Brunswick in March of 2021. So it most likely is a new disease. There, we, we haven't seen this anywhere else. It is of unknown etiology, but the symptoms are very much like CJD disease. So yes, Jennifer Russell said that in March 2021. And then what we learned later, when I reported this year, was from access to information documents, we saw that provincial and federal researchers were all in on this. They were looking for environmental causes of what could possibly be triggering this disease or potentially causing multiple diseases in different people, but but one or a handful of causes that could have been triggering these illnesses that they couldn't explain. As you reported, a lot of these cases were referred to a neurologist, uh, Dr. Alia Marrero, and he begins working with a task force. There's a, a couple of them. You obtain thousands of pages of correspondence between this provincial task force, and then there were federal scientists as well. And they were all working together in earnest to try to figure out what the hell was causing these cases. They were searching high and low. And as you reported, though they weren't sure what it was, they were certainly looking closely at the possibility of environmental toxins. For a while, they were looking into the possibility of something like a mad cow thing or something to do with venison. They were also looking at a toxin called BMAA. Right. They were looking at blue-green algae and some of the neurotoxins that can be caused when blue-green algae is consumed by human beings. And from the documents, it seemed like that was the leading theory about what could be causing all of these different symptoms in people. People who live in New Brunswick, I learned from you, are used to this. They're used to lakes or swimming areas being closed to the public because of blooms of blue-green algae. And blue-green algae blooms can result in this toxin, and this toxin can accumulate in shellfish. And I think it is worth noting here that in New Brunswick, the fishery industry is worth $1.3 billion a year, and it employs 29,000 people. And as you say, the possibility of an environmental toxin like BMAA buildup in shellfish was one of the leading possible causes that these scientists were looking at. Right. Either through water or shellfish consumption, they were worried about this. And included in the documents, we also found out that they had been monitoring blue-green algae blooms, especially in the Moncton water supply as well. But investigation into these potential environmental causes abruptly ended in May 2021. We don't know exactly what happened, but in the government documents, it's clear that something happened because it nearly overnight, all of the communications changed. Money that was meant to be coming from the federal government 
was suddenly put on hold. Federal researchers were asked to stop investigating. So the internal documents show that all of a sudden the task force is uh, told to stop meeting. Uh, Meetings are taken off of their calendar. That's what's happening internally. And then externally, the public gets an update from the province. Nine people have died at this point. Their remains have been sent by the public health agency, the federal public health agency, to a neuropathologist, the University of Ottawa, named Dr. Jared Jansen. And he comes forward with a public statement telling the world that all of these patients have been misdiagnosed. Five have what we call a dementia. Then we have a patient who has a brain tumor. We have a patient who has vascular dementia. And then there is a patient who has a a different disease in the sense that there are no pathological abnormalities to that disease. In fact, Sarah, Dr. Jansen breaks with all of the other researchers and scientists, and, and he calls into question the very idea that there is a cluster, that these patients have anything to do with each other, because, he says, these are known illnesses. And provincial officials begin walking back the idea that there's anything mysterious happening here at all. The documents show that the province had switched gears in May 2021, but by October, they were publicly talking about how they didn't think any environmental causes were causing these illnesses, and they weren't particularly interested in investigating any of them. This is Dr. Arafur Rahman, the provincial medical officer. We have concluded there is an overarching theme to these findings, which is if a particular food exposure such as lobster or blueberries or venison was to blame, there would have been people with similar symptoms in other parts of the province. And based on the findings of this report, there are no specific behaviors, foods, or environmental exposures that can be identified as risk factors with regards to the potential syndrome of unknown cause. Sarah, they ruled out food sources as a potential cause, even though 31 of 34 patients had told them that they had eaten lobster before the onset of symptoms. But they didn't just stop looking at lobster as a possible cause. They they stopped looking for environmental causes entirely. And as you say, they had uh, millions of dollars that they could have used to test for environmental causes, and they, they left that money on the table. They disbanded the team of scientists. They told the public that they were taking the hunt in a house to their own oversight committee. And that committee announced there is no mystery illness. Now, that, as we discussed in a previous episode, was a little bit of an act of misdirection because the question that these scientists were asking was not, what is this mystery illness? The question that they were trying to solve was, what caused these symptoms? The mystery was, is there a common cause? But one thing we were able to establish the last time we spoke about this was that there was intentional misinformation from the province of New Brunswick. Yeah, we we established that there was definitely lies that were told about what they were seeing. And I mean, other things that happened at that time when they disbanded the research, they also stopped counting. They stopped tallying the number of patients that could have possibly been attributed to this cluster. So here is a clip from June 3rd, 2022, when Public Health Minister of New Brunswick, Dorothy Shepard, was asked directly if environmental factors were being investigated. 
And she said no. No, I think it's really important to keep in mind that we can't have a narrow focus here. We must examine any and all possibilities. And as those possibilities evolve, you know, we'll certainly share them with you. But the fact is, is that the reason that we are going to such lengths is that we need to allow the science to do their investigation and their work. And by focusing on any one element could just take us in the wrong direction. Sarah, you obtained documents that show that is not true. They were still looking at environmental factors. And in fact, there there were more things she told us that were not true. She misrepresented the number of known cases, which had already climbed above 47. Right. And the reason she was misrepresenting that number is because the province had stopped counting by then. They were no longer counting patients that had similar symptoms. And the other thing is that we know from those documents that there was patients in, in other provinces and in other countries Canadians that had been in New Brunswick that had then traveled abroad. So we know that they were deliberately misrepresenting what was going on. And that's where this story was left. And as I said, it's a story that you've been working on for a year and a half painstakingly because the only sources that you've had to piece this together were official communication from the federal and provincial governments, which we have found at times to be inaccurate and at times uh, intentionally inaccurate. The patients themselves who can tell us horrific stories about their own individual cases, and then the correspondence that you were able to obtain between the scientists who are actively trying to solve this medical mystery. But those are the only sources that we've been able to base this story on so far because those scientists themselves, they have not been available or allowed to comment until today. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Fiona Mullen, Carolyn Heath, Colby Doyle, Mary Ellen Green, Ethan McLeod, Selena Whaling Ray, Blake Linthwaite, and Tiago. Hi, my name is Tiago. I'm a banker and wannabe yoga instructor currently living in Toronto, Ontario. I'm a new Canadian having immigrated here nine years ago, and I support Canada Land as it provides me with a critical view, different angles than traditional media and allows me to challenge the status quo and the fairy tale reality that some folks live in. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I got into this. I started to take AG1 every morning, mix the powder with the water, shake it up, and just down it, and boom. That's the first thing you do in the day. Vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, gut health. That's the foundation for everything that comes after that. And then I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take on the day. I'm doing something good for my body. I am giving it the nutrition, the greens that it craves, and I'm getting her done. I'm not messing around with a bunch of different bottles and supplements and pills and things like that. AG1 by Athletic Greens has got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients. If you are looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash CanadaLand. That is athleticgreens.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Sarah, we are back today because you were able to finally speak to a doctor at the center of this. Who is that doctor? So the doctor at the center of this is Dr. Alier Marrero. He was really one of the core people who, at the very beginning of all of this, 
helped establish that there was common symptoms that were relating across patients. And he's a neurologist in the province of New Brunswick from whom so many of these patients received referrals. As this progressed over time, because he was the most familiar with these cases and what the symptoms were, he became the obvious doctor to take the helm of this. And he was placed by the province of New Brunswick at the head of a clinic called the Mind Clinic, which became the main referral center for this 48 patient cluster that they had identified. Sarah, before we hear what he has to say about this entire thing, can you talk a little bit about some of the obstacles that he's faced and that you faced in trying to just get him on the record? I know that it was not an easy decision for him to sit down and answer questions. So because he was such an obvious person to speak to, he was one of the first people I reached out to uh, when I started investigating this story. And I'd reached out to him multiple times, but never heard back from him. From the documents, we do know that he gave interviews earlier on in 2021. But from the documents I obtained last year, we know that the government, both at the federal and provincial level, changed tact and said that all communication would be managed through the communications departments. Dr. Marrero is concerned for his job. Realistically, he's worried that speaking against the government protocol could result in him being fired. He established some protocols because he does consider it his duty to speak to us. First of all, because he is a doctor that's been very closely related to all of this, but also because that last story we told, the access to information documents leave off in February 2022. And we don't have any idea what's been going on in the last year and a bit. So he's considered it his duty, but he does have to be very careful. He's not willing to speak at all about the conduct of the province of New Brunswick or his employer, Vitalite uh, New Brunswick, which is the health authority. In principle, I'm reviewing our own rules here. I'm not violating any rule. This is my right and my duty. I may speak on my own name as a physician, and I'm talking about a medical issue, and I'm not divulging anybody's privacy. Basically, I feel that this issue cannot be damper and underneath uh, again and wait more because I do see the numbers growing and I see the need to do something now and to start understanding and providing answers. In any case, for the majority of patients, they feel they have not been provided with answers that explain their condition in an appropriate manner and prevent them from getting worse. And so in that sense, I am the advocate and I am their doctor. So it's my duty to speak. So a big part of what the government of New Brunswick did last year when they issued their report saying there was no mystery illness was they said that everyone had an alternate diagnosis. That's not actually the case. They were provided with letters that provided a number of possible alternate diagnoses, which in many cases, Dr. Marrero said had already been ruled out. So he said this was his duty of care. He needed to speak on behalf of his patients. And the idea that he could possibly be fired, he's weighing that against whether or not there will be a neurologist that's taking these patients seriously. And because things have become so dire, he decided that it was more important to speak and risk not being able to be their doctor anymore. What do you mean so dire, Sarah? What's, what's changed since February 2022? So there's two major things that have changed in the year and a bit since we lost track because we don't have any further internal documents to flesh out this picture. 
What he says is that he has seen an astronomical increase in the number of patients. So the, the province stopped tracking this cluster of patients at 48. And he's saying there's now more than 200. And he's saying that there's so many patients he can't even get to. He's saying that he's got his regular caseload as a neurologist. He's seeing all of these patients in addition. And the backlog of people who are waiting to see him on referral is just, it's so long. So let me understand this. Even though the task force that he was participating in where all of these different doctors and scientists were trying to get to the bottom of this and hoping to do environmental studies, that was disbanded. The funding was gone. The group broke up. But he has kept seeing those initial cluster patients. And then in addition to them, there are like 152 new patients who fit this description. Yeah, more than 200 is what he told me. And more still waiting and knocking on his door. And he's seeing all of these patients in addition to everybody else he sees just in the normal course of his practice as, as a neurologist. Correct. And worth mentioning, again, as I did in the last one, that New Brunswick has uh, some of the most overworked neurologists in the country. Okay, so that's the first thing that's changed. What's the second thing? So the second thing that's changed is that though in those documents we received through access to information, that had indicated that they were looking at primarily blue-green algae as a possible environmental cause of these symptoms. He has been advocating for these patients and searching high and low for other resources that he could employ to try and care for them better. And what he found was a test that was funded in the province of Quebec, actually, where he could actually get all these 200 patients tested for pesticide exposure. Pesticide exposure. Yeah. You know, any of those things that are sprayed for, you know, your weeds in your garden, but also on an industrial scale over forests in our forestry industry. So far, we had around 200 patients tested. Initially, I didn't know myself that this was available, and I thought they only test one substance, but in fact, they test four. And well, they tested for glyphosate, AMPA, aminomethylphosphonic acid. Glufosinate and something called 3-MPPA, 3-methylpropinicophosphonic acid, which are all herbicides and their derivatives. And they are used in widely in different areas here. The majority of my patients, first of all, the great majority of my patients, show exposure well beyond detection level to one or more of these substances and uh, sometimes very high. No, I'm talking people who are not professionally exposed. They're not working in these industries in any way, and this is the wintertime. And this happens to be concentrated in, more, in some communities or areas more than others. So is this like a new theory as to what could be causing all this? So it's not necessarily a new theory. What he's saying is, is there's this other potential cause. It could be that these symptoms are being caused by exposure to herbicides. It could also be that blue-green algae is the culprit. It could also be that these two theories are actually linked because glyphosate has the potential when it is run into water systems to actually increase the amount of blue-green algae in water. And so it could be that it's one or the other, or it could be that it's both. But what he was really advocating for was just more environmental research because he is convinced that there is an environmental culprit here. Um, so it could be one, it could be the other, it could be that it's both together. 
Sarah, when I Google New Brunswick and glyphosate, what I get are numerous news articles from the CBC and others about a controversy that is linked to the Irving family and the Irving family's businesses in the forestry uh, industry. CBC reporting that Jim Irving says that a ban on glyphosate would be disastrous. Canada's National Observer reporting that um, Indigenous communities are calling glyphosate spraying to be akin to eco-genocide. There's a whole controversy over a forestry college instructor who spoke out against glyphosate and then was fired. And uh, Jacques Poitras for the CBC found emails between his college and Irving Industries. So there's this very controversial use of this herbicide from the forestry industry in New Brunswick. And now I learned from you that glyphosate can result in blooms of blue-green algae. It's also a known carcinogen. And we know from Dr. Marrero that his tests are showing that exposure is high to this herbicide as well as a number of other herbicides. But what Dr. Marrero is ultimately advocating for is environmental research to be done because what's really alarming to him isn't just that he's seeing more patients, is that he's seeing so many young patients and also clusters of patients. So that means people who are living in the same place. When I received the first 54 results in January, I immediately wrote a letter to Public Health Canada and New Brunswick requesting their assistance, informing them of their the number of cases, again, the number of young cases, the number of family clusters, about the geographical clustering and about the fact that I received these results showing this exposure. So what he's saying is that he's seeing clustering not only of families, so not just people who are genetically related, but also household clusters and geographic regions. So that means not easily explained by, you know, people having the same genetic code. So this is why he's speaking out to us. And this is what he's already advocated for to the province and to the federal government, just that more environmental factors are tested. I was not concluding that this exposure meant this is a causality. I just asked them, as it was before, to help with the experts in these fields to understand the meaning of these results and to conduct appropriate testing beyond that as needed. And I also particularly requested that BMAA be tested as in the meetings I have participated before with all the uh, other people involved, including the experts in these fields, we know that these substances, these herbicides and other pesticides can actually favor the blooming of blue-green algae. I am not concluding that this is either the cause, but I am requesting that this be tested and we get an answer. You know, Sarah, when we were trying to figure out why the province might have suddenly become incurious as to the cause of this, I think that our best guess at a certain point was the possible link to shellfish. Perhaps they were protecting the fishery industry. Now that we are talking about glyphosate and glyphosate and other herbicides are showing up in the test results of people who are suffering these symptoms, we also bring into question how much of this has to do with possible protection for New Brunswick's forestry industry which is a major employer. This is a sector that supports over 24,000 jobs in every region of the province. It's almost 2 billion. 
And we've previously covered the political influence that this industry and specifically Irving has over the politics of New Brunswick. Jesse, I got to be honest, my mind and my questions go to the same place. But in talking to Dr. Marrero, who is the focus today, uh, what he had to say, he was just laser focused on his patients and the fact that the number of patients is growing and they are disproportionately young people. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. I do see the number of younger cases increasing, and I have reported that to public health as well. Um, by January, it was 51. I am seeing more every week now. I try to keep pace with this number of new referrals, new cases that we see, and re- the reporting issue, and also coping with all the rest of the work that we have to do. But yes, this problem with younger onset cases, which is very concerning, is growing. And I do have uh, not a significant number of cases in, in people in their less than 35 years old, basically. that is. But obviously, I don't assume and I don't consider that this is normal at any age. If, if the cost of this is environmental, everybody should be considered and examined and tested. We should not exclude the older patients because this is somehow supposed to be expected. Actually, it is not because of the number of cases in geographical areas do not make sense either, no matter what age. But it, the point you brought up was the younger cases. Yes, absolutely. Because if you go through the studies in 
international studies, you don't you don't find this number of young onset cases in neurogeneration other than an epidemic condition. Like for instance, it happened in the United Kingdom with the variant CJD. Sir, is he like the last man standing? Is is he is he the last person who cares about the, the, this case? I mean, is is the province involved at all at this point? So I asked him if anyone was formally tracking these numbers outside of his office, and he said he didn't know. From where we left off on our last episode of February 2022, where we stopped knowing what happened, he's just kept up the steady drumbeat of his work. He's kept tallying these patients. And when he goes and continues to advocate to the province for more support and more investigation, what he was met with was a form. He was told that in order to report any more cases, he had to fill out paperwork that ranged between 40 and 200 pages for each new patient he wanted to report to the province. I've written again to the authorities, public and provincial, several times since January. And by the beginning of May, Dr. Russell sent, uh, sent me a communication saying that she's received my letter and that they're creating a new form, which is a New Brunswick uh, Extended Epidemiological Questionnaire or form. So I, I was requested to fill them out. And I started to do so. But they, these forms request an immense amount of data. They asked me, for instance, all these patients, who, what doctors they saw and when, all the reports from brain images, MRI, CT, spec CT, EEG, blood work, spinal taps, genetic testing. Typically, this is a job that is done by public health when you refer a case or something, but uh, for some reason, they are requesting the requesting physician to fill out this. And I am doing so. I started to do so. Uh, but to give you an idea what it takes, my reports go, the shortest one is 40-something pages, and the longest one, 180, near 200 pages each. I want to make sure I got my head around this. He is trying to tell the province that the number of people suffering from this is growing, and they're saying every time you want to alert us to one more patient, you have to do 40 to 200 pages of paperwork, including their full medical histories, all their test results. And you've got to do this in addition to your pre-existing medical practice before this whole thing started. Is that what's going on? That's certainly the story he told me. And it gets worse because he said that when he, you know, had completed this form for the first patient and he finally sent it in, that public health, the authority he was meant to send this to, actually didn't know what they were receiving. It doesn't seem as if this is being taken seriously by the province. I mean, the least generous interpretation of the government's actions here would be that they are intentionally putting an obstacle in his way to keep the number of patients down. You know, if, if, if you make, if you got one doctor on this stuff and you make him fill out 40 to 200 pages of paperwork every time he wants to put another patient on the record, you know, maybe he'll just stop doing that. Right. And it, he actually took probably the most generous view of this. He said that it could just potentially be a new process that no one was familiar with. And that happens a lot of the time in, in public health where, where people just haven't been brought up to speed. But it's certainly not where my mind goes. But at the end of the day, Dr. Moreau isn't looking to be some superhero doctor. He's looking to advocate for his patients. And he insists is not about him, but about the people who at the end of the day are still sick. 
And what about those people, Sarah? Like, who is treating these people? After the task force disbands, you've still got patients. I mean, uh, sadly, a lot of these people have died, but most of them are are still alive and combating just a horrific uh, illness. Who is treating them? When Dr. Marrero was forced out of the mine clinic, his patients were given a choice. They could either stay at the mine clinic with the new physician and all the resources that were now available at the mine clinic, or they could follow Marrero and... A lot of the patients, some of whom I've actually spoken to, chose to go with Marrero because, as they'd put it, he was the only person who had ever actually advocated for them. In the letter that they, was, they were sent to them, they were given the choice. And uh, I will still be able to see them myself without the support of all the other added services that by then were added. By July 2022, the clinic was fully you know, running and everything could be done. So they were asked to choose between you or the Mind Clinic? Yeah, uh, between me or, and the other ser- services, multidisciplinary services. Basically, I've never seen this before. So I, I said, first time, I guess it's always the first time. But I've never seen this choice being given to patients before. Particularly knowing what, what we're talking about here, that is a condition that is, keeps going, worsening, and it's the neurodegenerative conditions that do not have, at this time, an appropriate disease-modifying therapy or cure. I have talked to patients about this, and they've elaborated what you're, you're saying, that they were forced to choose, and they, by and large, chose to stay with you because you were the one advocate they'd ever found. That's what I mentioned before. Why You asked me why I keep going. Well, this is why I keep going. They are the reason why I keep going. So at this point, with patients quadrupling, him seeing worsened conditions, I asked him what he wanted to see. What I would like to see happening is something like what we had prior to May 2021, an extensive open collaboration between experts in different fields trying to understand and provide answers to a growing issue that is very significant and is affecting these populations and these younger cases and these communities in a hard way. So that's what I'd like to have. Uh, I call it to have adults in the room to take them seriously, to provide them with answers that are meaningful and could explain what is happening to them because they're obviously sick and they need to have answers and they deserve to be analyzed and seen by experts. I have been requesting this right from the beginning. It is worth noting that the biggest criticism that anyone's been able to mount against you is that you've been seeing these patients by yourself, but the documents do show that you've been asking again and again to not be the only physician dealing with this. In the great majority of these cases, I'm seldom the only specialist who saw them. <laughs> Actually, I'm not. And yeah. what, what I'm, the documents I'm providing public health right now prove that because they request what doctors they see, when they see, and so on and so forth, what tests they have. By making me the point, the attention is distracted away from the patients and communities. They deserve to be the center, not the doctor. They have to have to be provided with answers. Sarah, what does the province of New Brunswick have to say about all this now? So I did put questions to the government of New Brunswick. I asked them if they cared to elaborate on what happened in May 2021 that caused the government to reverse course on investigating environmental factors at play here. I also asked them what they had to say about Dr. Marrero identifying more than 200 patients at this point that he believes are suffering from the same symptoms that were originally identified. I asked them what they had to say also about those elevated levels of herbicide exposures that Dr. Moreau found through that testing in Quebec. 
And the last thing I asked the government was about these forms that Dr. Marrero talked about, saying that they were 40 to 200 pages for each patient. And that last question is really the only one that they even came close to answering directly. Spokesperson Sean Hatchard wrote that while the New Brunswick Department of Health has received Marrero's correspondence identifying 147 new patients, they told me that they reminded Dr. Marrero of his legal requirement to inform them of each new case within seven days of identification. And the government of New Brunswick says he's only done that nine times. As Marrero says, though, these forms he was filling out were lengthy and, and he's been unable to keep up with the paperwork. Hatchard said that the Department of Health has now created a two-page form to collect additional information. Sarah, that is just a maddening response. It is quite confusing to me. I think there's a number of ways that that could be interpreted and read. I'll tell you how I read that. They seem to be saying that though they are aware that Dr. Marrero has sent them information of 147 new patients beyond the initial cluster, they have a legal requirement that he do so within seven days of learning of each, and he only got them the information in that seven-day window nine times. And I can only infer from that that, like, what, are they throwing out the other 138 patients? They don't want to know about them because he wasn't within that seven days, which, of course, makes sense if he had to fill out 40 to 200 pages of information before they shortened it to a two-page form. I think this is going to require some follow-up questions to the Department of Health to find out exactly what they meant about that. I know that we can't expect that response by publication time, so we will, of course, update this story if we get clarity on that. But that is my reading of this, that they are not acknowledging 138 new patients because they did not like the way in which he told them. Sarah, thank you for this. Thanks, Jesse. That's your Canada land. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you're going to get premium access to all of our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You will also get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada land merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events, and more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click on the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadaland.com. This episode was reported by Sarah Larniuk. Our senior producer is Bruce Thorson. Additional production and editing from Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofo. I am your host, Jesse Brown. Theme music is by So Called, syndication handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman, found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. 
she's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.